Welcome to an in-focus edition of On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I've been increasingly curious about student success across higher education, how it has changed, and what institutions are doing to engage and retain a new generation of learner. I'd like to thank the folks at NAC for bringing this conversation together. I encourage you to go to joinnac.com where you can capitalize on your NACs and make the most of your skills by helping your peers. Now, on to the episode. Okay, so we talked about this previously, if you're following along in sequential order, and I sure hope my audience is. (laughs) I say that with a bit of sarcasm, but, uh, you know, look, there are a lot of conversations currently around our ability, I think, in the professional Uh, circles of education to understand what student success looks like, how it might be experienced from the student level and the impact it has on those that are providing the services, uh, the learning um, and the ecosystems that are are hopefully providing that environment to allow those things to happen. So I want to continue that conversation and discussion. We're going to be chatting today with Dr. Kate Ziemer. She's the Senior Vice Provost for Academic Affairs at the beautiful University of New Hampshire. I was saying off air, Kate, that I'm so jealous because I would imagine that campus is quite beautiful. It is just gorgeous. It's a great time to be in New Hampshire and a great time to be in the fall anywhere, I imagine. Yeah, it's probably pretty easy. It's I think everybody there could update their LinkedIn and say you work for the tourism board or something, right? Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, Kate, let's let's talk about in your role as senior vice provost. Talk a little bit about the changes that you've seen evolve, um, sort of post pandemic. When we think about what student success is, because it feels like there's this is also this has been an opportunity to redefine. Um, and to take in different points of information that might be valuable to the way in which we think about our students going forward. That is very true. COVID, though not planned, was really a disruption that we can take advantage of because it really pointed out where the weaknesses in our systems were for ensuring all students felt not only their success as an academically progressing individual, but as a thriving human being. And I obviously, I work at a residential campus that deals where most of the students are what we call first-time, full-time freshmen. So they come from high school into the college setting. We also have a thriving graduate student population that um, increases both the diversity, globalization, and age of the students that we serve in a residential nature. But we also have different campuses and different audiences through our Manchester campus, which is mostly commuters, through our online programs, and through our extension programs. So you're really dealing with education and students or learners everywhere from that first-time full-time freshman to somebody who is trying to complete a degree to somebody who wants to upskill with a graduate certificate. And I think one of the things that disruption showed us is that bottom line to all of this is that there are student needs that need to be tailored to different student audiences and that what that what we thought we were doing so well had some gaps that our systems had hidden from us. And that disruption of COVID broke open those blinders and helped us see that students who were being successful academically 
were maybe not thriving mentally or maybe not thriving socially. Students that seem to have everything together would all of a sudden just drop out of sight and we weren't keeping track of them. And it causes us to question and really think deeply about what is our mission in terms of student success? Do we accept that it's not just an academic degree, it's more than that. It's thriving and growing, being where you are and going to where you wanna be. So well put. You know, it made me think just there at the tail end, about, you know, we talk about, especially in early childhood education, we talk about the whole child. And it's a little bit like the light bulb went off for higher ed that said, to your point, this is not about just checking a box because some students are very good at checking a box where we're very systematized. And, but that doesn't mean that they're thriving as humans, right? And early career professionals and learners, lifelong learners in that way. I, that leads me to the question around sort of the the quality of question, the quality of inquiry from the student or the learner to the university. Are we seeing that change? Are we seeing that they are becoming, I don't know, a, more of a discerning consumer of their education so that they can find the things that they don't know are out there or that they need access and assistance with to provide a much more equitable experience? You know, it feels like, you know, I won't date myself, um, but, you know, I come from an era in higher ed where it was a little bit more factory. It sort of felt like this is what you did. This is when you did it. And it was just it was a pretty rubber stamp kind of feel. And now that we don't have that and it sort of broke open to your point, the pandemic, I'm just wondering if stu students are starting to think, well, wait a minute, I can participate. I can be an advocate for what I want what I don't want, and maybe what I need. Are you seeing that sort of filter up into your office and the university level? Are you hearing it from colleagues at other universities that we're getting sort of different questions from these young people? Yes, and. And I say it that way because, yes, we are getting different questions. We are seeing students, and I find this very encouraging, being able to advocate for themselves, being able to step up and say, I look around me at the world and what you're talking about is a small sliver. You know, put this into the world context for me because, you know, I'm not just this little sliver. I'm not just my degree. And again, I'm kind of reverting a little bit more toward the um, undergraduate residential population in particular here, because I think that being able to now gather much more regularly and in much more normal circumstances and start having conversations and comparing notes that they are able to have a group agency as well. And I, I think we as higher education welcome that or should welcome that. And, and this is the and part. We never want to say all students are. And what I'm concerned about in my role is the people I'm not hearing from. And that is something I think the pandemic taught us all, is to pay more attention uh, around what we're not hearing about and balance that with what we are hearing about. And for us in our roles of responsibility to start asking some of the questions we wouldn't normally ask. It, as the Senior Vice Provost for Academic Affairs, it would be easy to put on blinders and focus on making sure these students are getting the degree, making sure that when they graduate, they get jobs. 
And that's, I feel, not the only thing I should be thinking about anymore. I need to make sure that, I need to recognize that our students, particularly at this time in the world and in the context we are living in, our students need to not only get that degree, but become themselves, become citizens, have a safe place where they can experiment with more than just growing their intellectual selves, but with becoming who they are and being able to test the boundaries of the checkbox, as you put it, or the standard or the, the expectation. So I think it's an exciting time. I think it's a challenging time. I think it takes a lot of energy, particularly on our faculty that are kind of exhausted anyway. Um, so the other frame of this, and this is a little off topic, so cut me off, um, is that it's an exciting time for our faculty too, but an exhausting time for our faculty. And so how do I, as someone who feels like our employees need to be thriving as well, balance that into this mix. You know what I love about what you just said is that sometimes we don't have the answer. And sometimes we have to, I think, lean into that learning in life is an iterative process. It's not something that we solve and then we put it on the shelf and then we just sort of it's this repeatable process. And that sometimes it's more about the question, right? Yeah. So even just asking a question can put people at ease and say, you know what, Kate has, she may not have the answer for me, She's asking the questions that I'm asking, which says that we are on a similar path and she wants to support my efforts. Because to your point about those on the margins that maybe don't make as much quote unquote noise, right? It's the ones you don't hear from. I am completely with you in, in my past years of mental health and working in schools where it's very easy to focus on the, the behavioral challenge or the loudest voice in the room. But boy, the ones that are silent, the silent majority in that regard it takes that much more effort to understand potentially why they're silent. What is it about the system that we have in place and the way in which they engage or don't that we might need to look at like introspectively. So I think that says a lot. Sometimes questions, you know, I think higher ed sadly gets put in this box of you have to have the answer <laughs> as an industry, right? Or is it, well, maybe it's the question that is so powerful. Does that ring true for you or am I far afield? It particularly rings true for me in the sense of asking the questions across different constituents. In the and that same question can mean something so different to two different constituents. But when they start talking about their answers, then you you find that point of communication that I think can be very elucidating. I'm thinking about when we first started getting our staff on the student life side, which is things like the psychological services, counseling, um, tutoring, uh, academic supports, and blending that with the supports that were more college-centric and academic program-centric. And everybody wanted to be student-centric, but they were talking at different languages. And so a student comes into that conversation and says, well, well, wait a minute, how do I know I'm going to make an impact in this? Right. Say, say, and I'm going to pick just a, a, a non-true example here, but, but wait a minute, I, I'm very interested in food sustainability. You know, do I be a chemical engineer? Do I be a, a nutritionist? 
And, and wait a minute, why can't I use this job with the food bank to bring into this context of education a way to get with people who understand civil discourse and can work with me to figure out how to take that learning I've gleaned from working at this food bank to recognize that the waste that's going on here in the cafeteria should be blended with that. How do we create this environment in the academic setting where we're all energized because we're asking those questions of the different constituents, we're involving the people around us and not saying, here's what I think all the time, and here's my checklist, and here's what you need to do. Can we have enough confidence in ourselves and each other to use our academic environment to ask those important questions and let us all learn together. This conversation has been supported by our friends at NAC. Go to joinnac.com to capitalize on your NACs. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and, and are we okay? Can we be okay with the unknown? And not the students, <laughs> us. Us. Because right? to your point, how it's... If you go into setting up de degree programs, the natural sort of lane is one leads to the next. And then we we continue to progress through this sort of, again, factory-like feel. doesn't mean we have bad intentions at all. It's just, it's so much easier to sort of gauge if we're doing something correctly. But living in the ether and saying, well, wait a minute, sustainability, to your point, how do we provide that sort of, how do we supply oxygen to the room for that yes. student? Yes, exactly. And how do we show that it's not one solution? Right. That it's not it's not your neighborhood or UNH. It's not New Hampshire. It's not New England. It's not the United States. It's planet Earth. It's planet Earth. <laughs> you know, it, it it does. And so if we go back sort of the business of higher ed, man, the business sounds a little bit pejorative, and I don't mean it in that regard, but it does feel like if we have a little bit more openness and trust in ourselves and that students and learners have trust in the systems and sort of the landscape that we've provided or the canvas, that you know what's going to be impacted in a positive trajectory? Retention. <laughs> yes. I don't mean to sort of speak, uh, you know, something obvious into the into the ether, but right. I mean, this feels like because at the end of the day, we do want our, our institutions of higher learning to be thriving. And thriving is sort of directly in, you know, relation to retaining students throughout the course of their degree program. Yes. Retaining them, engaging them, letting them see their agency to impact the world around them while they're in college. So that when they leave, they're already hitting the ground running. And, and you know, I the other thing to throw into this conversation, I think, is that it's not just higher ed, but how employers look at what they're expecting from higher ed. Uh, just like it's easy for us in higher ed to say, well, this is what you need for a degree, click, 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 go. It's easy for an employer to say, I want somebody with a civil engineering degree. I want someone with an accounting degree. What's the conversation we have to have that says, yes, I need someone with a civil engineering degree if I need a professional engineer to certify the design of a building, I mean, a building or a bridge. And what is it I need to keep my company running? 
And how do I articulate that? And what is it I need when I'm looking for somebody who is going to join me in a startup to uh, revolutionize the distribution of food in um, Europe? Uh, what are those things that aren't the degree? How do we build the, the trust, the communication, the, um, the confidence maybe, as well as the competence uh, to be able to talk about and grow and develop those parts of being a thriving citizen? And we have decades of, of information and data, Kate, that oh. say, I mean, how, anybody listening to this has been at the picnic uh, in the neighborhood or a soccer game and someone says, oh, okay, well, what are you doing? And then, oh, where did you go to school? And you say, but yeah, but I, I'm not doing what I got my degree in. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is of people who got a degree in X and that they are practicing in X. And so we have decades of this sort of feeling of because you made that comment about things that are outside the degree and where they fit, because the value prop for that student might be much higher in that area. To your point around sustainability, that just might be what really fuels them. Um, and and the irony is they want to be able to plug that into lots of different things. Right. And that doesn't diminish whatever degree they're getting. in Exactly. That and the, the work around that, the context around that, both from a, a, a global external perspective, as well as the internal personal development perspective. Yes. So is what enables someone to thrive with that. One area that has seemed to explode it, and not just in the US, not just in higher ed or K-12. And I, if I could share my email, the inundated uh, sort of nature of tutoring questions. Mm. And the way in which students are thinking about sort of learning in a different way. Can you talk about sort of these alternatives, maybe an alternative is not the right way to put it, but, you know, we, we started, we've had personalized learning for years, right? That's sort of been the buzz, right? We've got so many of those in education. We're quite guilty of that, <laughs> of, of our, of our uh, addiction to acronyms and, uh, you know, taglines. But can you talk a little bit about just the way in which we've also deconstructed basically the experience of acquiring the knowledge that gets associated with a credit hour in so in so far as tutoring or finding things that allow students to learn in ways in which don't feel like a, a backstop or a, uh-oh, the dam has a leak and we need to just repair one piece. Because that's how it used to be thought of, right? Mm -hmm. Kate or Rod, there's struggling in statistics in this one area. You need to sort of, you know, get going in that one spot and let's find you that one support where now it's, no, this is sort of a part of my learning team or my experience. Have you noticed that? What's the impact on the way in which professors potentially think about the way in which their students are tracking through a semester? So there are many wonderful examples um, across higher ed, across UNH, where faculty have said, hey, wait a minute, you know, I, if I create a peer learning environment, then my pedagogical impacts are magnified. And that has proven true over and over again, I think. When you have peer mentors, and I'm gonna throw out the term intergenerational peer mentors. So I'm talking about um, not just someone who is a year older, but a graduate student, um, a postdoc, even. Uh, what about one of those continuing education individuals who is coming into that class with a whole lifetime worth of experience 
and has a very different way to look at laboratory safety than the checklist that's in your little lab handbook that you get. So how do you build a, um, a, an ongoing community that is more than that single subject tutoring that you talked about. And I will say, I think that single su subject tutoring is a part of the, the web of student success. And one of the things that we need access for that students can come in and out of. But so is that just how in the heck do you survive Professor Zemer's lectures you know she's talking way up here dreamer zemer i can't bring it down hello dreamer zemer and so as as a professor i need to give the i want to build those kinds of conversations so people share their experience of the learning and then the other thing i really like about peer tutoring or peer supporting or peer encouraged education is that you it makes it much easier to take something you've learned in one context and apply it in another context and that is the key i mean if you talk to anybody who's ever taught a class you know you're teaching kinetics and somebody swears they've never had general chemistry and you know they've had general chemistry right <laughs> um you know but it's so we tend to, with the checkbox approach, right, we tend to block in learning in this little um, zoomed in binocular space. And you forget that that binocular space zooms out and ties into everything else. And when you start bringing people with different ideas and different, I would say, interdisciplinary students, so students who are chemical engineers and students who are um, civil civil discourse experts and students who are historians together on one pro on one project. All of a sudden, you're seeing your expertise in a different context, and you're able to not only communicate across contexts, which is deeply valuable as as a skill for thriving, but also you're able to see how what you're learning connects, and that again is a very self motivating increasing the agency of the learner. And you I know, I'm that. afraid, Rod, I got way off yeah. top there. I'm no, <laughs> you didn't at all. What what it says to me as well is that it, it, look, you mentioned it, you know, it's sort of the ones that are in the margins, maybe we don't hear about that sort of peer to peer. And I love that. And I wrote that down, that sort of um, peer encouraged sort of education is that, you know, sometimes you feel, gosh, one, one exchange that I have with another student makes me feel just that much more connected to my experience and my university. I'm going to make a wild guess here that that will impact retention overall and my ability to experience maybe the full offering that the university has both academically and socially. And that is really meeting students where the, where they are. Right. So that's just so key. I, let's close with this, Kate, talk a little bit about it. Cause I always think it's fascinating. What is it about your experience in education when when you were uh, Zemer the Dreamer, as you said, or <laughs> years ago as a student yourself? But what is it about your experience that basically the light bulb went off for you and said, you know what, I want to continue this journey and I want to find a way in which to continue my own learning, but also give back in a formal way and work in higher education. I always think that's fascinating. I think we owe people and professionals like yourself a debt of gratitude because that's what supports the next generation um, and to understand those stories. So just give me a brief, if you don't mind, of sort of what was it about your experience that 
gets you up in the morning and says, I'm going to, I'm going into work and I'm excited. And if people could see your face, you just have this, you're so personable and excited about what you're doing that has to translate and make an impact at the students there and your colleagues. When I graduated with my bachelor's degree, and in case you haven't picked it up, it was in chemical engineering. <laughs> um, I had a wonderful undergraduate experience. I was not the best chemical engineering student, uh, but I was very engaged in music. I was in the marching band and the symphony band and the, the chamber music and stuff like that. So I had a great time. And, you know, I graduated and got a job. You know, I might as well work in this thing. I studied it, right? And when I went to work, that's when all of a sudden the boxes fell into place. And I might not have been the best student, but I wasn't the worst either. And all of a sudden I could see, wow, I now I see where chemical engineering can make an impact in something that matters. And all of a sudden I had a totally different mindset toward the field I had studied. And I could see how I could make improvements in the, um, the daily work routines of the operators around me. I could see how I could make improvements in the, the way the company could make more money. <laughs> I could see how I could make improvements in uh, containing the waste stream so that there were fewer leaks. And I started saying, well, this is really exciting. And then we had some students come in on internship that I was supervising. And I was like, it! I should have done something like that. There's got to be a way to to not take treat high school courses like like I I'm sorry treat treat my college courses like I did my high school courses right you go you do well you do well on the test you move on you go you do well you do well on the test you move on it's so much more than that and so when I was given an opportunity uh, to go higher up in management I decided that I had to make a choice I either commit to going higher up in management and and work on this in this company, or now's the time to go back to school and see if I can make sure no other chemical engineer graduates without getting it, without getting how they are so important to what they can contribute to the world around them. And so that's what started my journey with going back to school and saying, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that my students aren't as um, disconnected from how, what they're studying can have an impact. What a beautiful and and visual uh, story that is, because I think there are so many people that will resonate uh, with your experience, and and just that sort of you know the end the hook there on I don't want to have to see another student right not get it get what it is and have an understanding of that because that these are life decisions these decisions mm -hmm. impact everything from where you live and family planning or wh whatever it is. Um, it's not just checking a box and getting a piece of paper at the end with a signature, right? So um, really, really powerful. And I do appreciate your trust in me to have the conversation and to share that bit of your story. Um, Kate, I want to make sure that prospective students or people that are interested in connecting with the University of New Hampshire can get in contact. Where should they go? That's a good question. Um, why don't you just start with me and I'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I will encourage people to, to, uh, to connect with Dr. Kate Ziemer. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Go to the website, 
for University of New Hampshire. What a treat to spend some time on a really important, serious, but also enlightening conversation that gives me hope, and I think the audience as well, when we think about the power of question. And you've embraced that, it seems, that with every fiber of your professional and personal being. We want to thank again Dr. Kate Ziemer, the Senior Vice Provost for Academic Affairs at the University of New Hampshire. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.